Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 19, starting with verse 1 and all the way through uh, verse 14. You can find that on page 456. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, of drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the word of my, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles now to Isaiah chapter 55. Our sermon text for today is uh, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 13. We have been learning that the invitation goes out to all. Come, eat, drink of Jesus, and be satisfied. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And no one, absolutely no one, can satisfy like Jesus. A lady Shelley and I counseled years ago once publicly said here in a worship service, and I quote, I spent my life turning to alcohol to ease my pain, only for my pain to increase. Now for the first time in my life, I can enjoy something and it not be wrong. Jesus knows my pain, he cares about my pain, and he alone can help me in my pain, end of quote. The truth of the matter is that if we seek satisfaction in anything or anyone other than Jesus, we will always be disappointed. The, the thief that thinks his life would be better with a little bit more money ends up stricken with shame and in prison. Uh, the adulterer who thinks love is greener on the other side of the fence ends up plagued by guilt and disillusion when his new lover <laughs> turns out to have sin issues as well. The, the man who refused to accept God's will for his life and 
instead created a, a new god or idol to suit his own fancy, ends his life in suicide because his false god could not satisfy his thirst. All of those real-life situations. Through Isaiah 55, the Lord says to you this morning, come, eat, drink of Jesus, and be satisfied. And it makes perfect sense for Isaiah to say then, in verse 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Return to the Lord that he may have compassion on you and abundantly pardon you. As I said last week, here in Isaiah chapter 55, we have such a warm and gracious, love-filled, generous invitation to drink of Jesus and never thirst again. But Jesus doesn't want you just to know about that. Jesus wants you to believe it. Jesus wants you to drink and eat. Jesus wants you to come to him repenting, believing, and experiencing his compassion and abundant pardon. Today we plan to finish out Isaiah 55. Uh, we'll focus on verses 8 through 13, but we are also finishing out a major section in Isaiah. In chapters 40 through 48 of Isaiah, the Lord promises redemption through His perfect servant. Uh, we, we learned in those chapters a lot about the character of the Lord's perfect servant. Let, let me rehearse just a little bit of what Isaiah taught us about the Lord's perfect servant. We learned that God's Spirit would be upon Him that he would bring forth justice to the nations, R real justice, God's justice, not just the social justice that many in the world are clamoring for today. The Lord's perfect servant will bring everything in the universe under God's righteous reign. But he'll do that without crying aloud or lifting his voice. We, we learn that a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not snuff out. But he, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. He, he will be a light for the nations, plural. The, the perfect servant's mouth will be like a sword and an arrow. In other words, the weapon of choice to accomplish God's will and to establish his kingdom and rule is his mouth or his word. It's, it's not by military might. It's not by the use of physical sword, but by the power of his mighty word that his work will be done. And we, we learn that in chapters 40 through 48. We also learn in chapters 49 through 55 how the Lord would provide redemption. It's through the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. There we learn that Jesus suffered in our place to restore us to a right relationship with God. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and six, four through 6 says, 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 12 says, He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. That's bold, really bold. It's glorious. It's filled with mercy and grace. This is, in fact, something that only a holy God could do in His infinite wisdom. But you must respond. Chapters 54 and 55 teach us how to respond. Jesus calls you to drink and eat and be satisfied. You, You must seek the Lord while He may be found. You must forsake your wickedness. And you will experience His compassion and His abundant pardon. Now, Next week, we begin a new section, chapters 56 through the end of uh, Isaiah, where we'll learn how the redemption will be experienced in real life. But, but today, our sermon text finishes out not only this chapter, but this major section of Isaiah. And in doing so, Isaiah gives us three primary reasons why it is imperative and fitting for you to put your faith in Jesus. It's not that we need more reasons. (laughs) Um, After what we've already learned in Isaiah, but the nature of God is to be lavish and generous in pouring out His blessings. And so what God gives us in Jesus is really grand and glorious. There is nothing else like it. In fact, we learn in verses 4 or 8 and 9 that God's thoughts and ways are infinitely better than man's thoughts and ways. Verse 8 and 9 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So notice that verse 8 begins with, by saying for, which connects it to what is said previously. And when you look at verse 7, we learn that one of the reasons we need to seek the Lord and forsake our wickedness and be abundantly pardoned is that our thoughts and ways are not God's thoughts and ways. Uh, Verse 7 begins by saying, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The the way man naturally thinks and acts falls far short of the way that God thinks and acts. There's no small difference between the two. We're finite, God is infinite, In fact, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's thoughts and ways higher than our thoughts and ways. So, how high are the heavens? 
Um, David Bateman, you have to ponder that thought. David's the guy that's always pondering those kinds of thoughts. How high really are the heavens? Um, has man ever reached the heights of the heavens? No, it's actually impossible. Because the more that we see into the far reaches of the universe, the more we learn that there is to see. Being able to comprehend the height of the heavens above the earth is beyond our ability to comprehend. The, the magnitude of the heavens magnifies the greatness of God. Uh, we read from Psalm 19 earlier, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Do, do you know all there is to know? <laughs> do, do you always know what is best to do in every situation that you face in life? I mean, the obvious answer for all of us is no. We, we're constantly struggling with this. We don't know always what is best to do. And even if we do know what is best to do, we constantly find ourselves lacking the power to do what is best. Everything that we, um, every, every day, excuse me, every day we need to learn from God. Every day we need God's wisdom. Every day we need God's power and strength to do what is right. We're, we're dependent creatures. Our, our thoughts and ways fall far short of God's thoughts and ways. Uh, COVID-19, I think, is one proof that man is gravely limited in knowledge. There's so much that we don't know about COVID-19. Uh, we, we really don't know fully how it spreads. We don't know really how it will impact human life. We don't know fully the best way to treat it. We don't have uh, a sure cure for it. We're learning, but we have far more to learn. And yet God is perfect in knowledge. God is omniscient. If, think about this. If man were all-knowing and all-powerful, we would probably not have a problem with COVID. I say probably. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. He could remove COVID by simply speaking the word. But He hasn't. Why? Well, I don't know all of His reasons why i do trust him however but i don't understand all that he does but one thing that i do know is this while not all things that happen in the world are good god uses all things for good romans 8 28 through 30 teach us that and in that passage, we're taught that one of the good things God does, even in things that are not good, like COVID, is to progressively transform our lives for His glory. Uh, God has certainly used this pandemic to expose our hearts, um, our fears, 
our judgments, how quick we can be judgmental, our, our pride, our lack of love and compassion, um, where we place our hope. COVID has also given us opportunities to trust Him and to serve others. And in this, God is glorified. But God has used this pandemic to remind sinful humanity that they desperately need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. Um, I, I received a letter this week from someone who used to work in the fire department and they shared how God used this past year to bring them back into a relationship with God. Um, praise God for that. Um, my, my hunch is that in this pandemic, um, this pandemic was used of God to soften some hearts and to harden other hearts. But I, I can't begin to comprehend all of God's thoughts and ways. I would never choose suffering to be an instrument of transformation. I, that's not the way that I would be wired to work. But God does, in his infinite wisdom, perfect in knowledge, omnipotent, God uses even suffering to bring about good. After the Apostle Paul spent the first 11 chapters in Romans teaching about the glory of God's gospel, how man is justified by faith in Jesus, not by our attempts to obey the law or keep the law. And after Paul teaches about the sovereignty of God in electing a people from among the Jews and the Gentiles, he writes in chapter 11, verse 33 through 36, and I quote, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God's thoughts and God's ways are infinitely higher and better than man's thoughts and ways. This, this magnifies the greatness of God and it is in fact a call for us to be humble. I, I just quoted the end of chapter 11 in Romans, but when you begin chapter 12, Paul calls us to respond to God's infinite uh, thoughts and ways when he says this in verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the response to God's mercy. And and then, the very first area of our lives that we need to address, if we're not going to conform to the world, and if, in fact, we are going to be transformed, is this, found in verse 3. For 
by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, for you see, sinful man's, from this text and many others, I would argue that sinful man's principal struggle is pride. Uh, it was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be God. Um, and we're tempted in the very same ways. We, we might not consciously say, I want to be God, but anytime we elevate our thinking and our ways over God's thinking, uh, thinking and ways, we are in essence re rebelling against God and trying to be God. Uh, we, we see this most clearly, I think, when we suffer. Uh, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a, a job loss, a difficult relationship, a broken marriage, maybe the death of a loved one, maybe a world that's increasingly filled with lawlessness. It's true, often, I would say always, life includes circumstances that we do not want. We would never choose suffering. But when we do suffer, when we do suffer, we can trust our Creator and our Redeemer. We must remember that God's ways are always good. God loves us deeply. The cross is proof of that. And, and God is in control. God knows all things. He is infinite in wisdom. He is trustworthy in every way. You, you can trust Him with your life, even in the deep, dark valleys of life. God loves you so much that He provided Jesus to be the suffering servant, to suffer in your place so that you could be restored to a right relationship with God, so that you could walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil because the good shepherd is with you. In, in our pride, we fight against God. We say, I don't want these circumstances in my life. <laughs> but in humility, we willingly submit to God and trust God no matter what happens because He's good always because his thoughts and ways are infinitely better than our thoughts and ways when you think about the greatness and the goodness of god it leads you to be humble and as we turn to verses 10 and 11 not only are his thoughts and ways greater than our thoughts and ways we also learn that God's word will faithfully accomplish all that he sent it to accomplish. No, notice again that verse 10 begins with four. In fact, verses, in verses 8 through 13, we see this happen four times. In other words, one of the reasons given for seeking the Lord while he may be found is that his word is powerful, always faithfully accomplishing its purpose. 
You can seek the Lord with confidence because God will always do what He has promised. Listen to verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. So we're here in this these verses were given another metaphor. Um, j- just as the rain and the snow come from heaven and cause the seed to sprout and grow and produce a harvest, so too does God's Word come from, forth from His mouth and then it accomplishes all that He intended it to accomplish. Uh, remember the context that we're in here in Isaiah. Judah is in exile in Babylon. they They're weak and defeated. Jerusalem is overrun. The temple was in shambles. But the Lord made some bold promises. He says Judah would return. Jerusalem would be rebuilt. A righteous king would come who would reign on David's throne forever. God would establish an everlasting covenant, the new covenant with His people. His people would include a chosen people, not just from Israel, but from all the nations of the earth. The promised suffering servant would suffer in our place to atone for our sins. This this would be not just the promise of forgiveness. This is real forgiveness of sin. The, The suffering servant would justify many. The Lord's perfect servant would be successful. He would sustain His people with a word. He would not discard a bruised reed, a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. True justice will be established on all of the earth. And He would do this, not with military might, but with the power of His word. All all things will be made new. I, I want you to know, God makes some extraordinary, bold, unflinching promises Mankind has proven to be unfaithful and frail at very best, but but God's Word is powerful. God spoke the universe into existence from nothing. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and so forth. God's Word that comes from God's mouth will faithfully accomplish all that He sent it to accomplish. God's Word is powerful, sufficient, it's faithful. It, he, God will always do exactly what He promises to do. And this is reason for us to trust Him completely. Alec Motier says, the Word of God is the unfailing agent of the will of God. And in response to His Word revealed to us, we must be teachable. Um, listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 7. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So that sounds just like Isaiah. Isaiah said the Word comes, goes forth from His mouth. So all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, what we have in Scripture are the very words that God intends for us to have. 
All Scripture is breathed out for God and is profitable. It's advantageous. It's beneficial. It's helpful for four things. Teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the the Bible, what comes forth from God's mouth, given to us, is is given to us to teach us what to believe. It's something very positive that happens. He, he, he tells us what to believe, sound doctrine. He, he confronts us when we believe the wrong thing. That's reproof. He corrects sinful behavior when we're doing the wrong thing. He exposes that and leads us to repentance. And it trains us to live every day in conformity to God's revealed will. And in doing this, God brings the man or the woman of God to maturity and equips us gives us what we need to live for his glory here on this earth we live in a broken world we see lawlessness and rebellion and chaos all around yet god's word is at work in us to make us strong so that we can be salt and light in this dark and decaying world it's amazing When the Apostle Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, uh, he said this in Acts 20, verse 32, and um, this summer when I left for sabbatical, I wrote this verse on my whiteboard in my office for the elders who gathered there every um, week to pray. And I came back, I asked them if they read that, and they said no. Um, But anyway, here it is. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give to you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I love that verse. I love that verse. Paul Paul understands the importance, the the power, the absolute necessity of God's word. Paul has had an important role in their life, and yet he was going to be departing. And and he was prepared for never coming back. But he said, I, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the gospel message. And Paul said, my, my confidence is that it is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they... But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is why we must be teachable. We we must be attentive to God's Word. We, We must listen Uh, to God's Word and receive it. We must open it up and and ask the Spirit of God to use it like a mirror to show us 
what He wants us to see about our lives and about Him. We must obey God's Word. We must keep God's Word. And as we draw closer to Christ's return, we, we know that the Word of God will not be popular. There will be a spirit that is increasingly opposed to the truth of God's Word. There will be a growing trend to discard truth revealed in the Bible and elevate people who teach all sorts of man-made doctrine. But we must be humble. God's thoughts and ways are infinitely better than man's thoughts and ways. How arrogant it is for us to discard the Bible, the very words that come from the mouth of God. How arrogant it is to discard the Word and elevate our own thoughts or opinions over the Word. We, we must be teachable learning from God and transformed by God. And when we are, there are sweet rewards. In fact, God's salvation brings joy and peace and praise for His glory. Listen as I read 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So because of what God promises to do for His people through His perfect servant, Jesus, we're told here, we will go out in joy. Isn't that something? There is an inner transformation of the heart that takes place in the life of a believer that enables us to experience joy and happiness that is not dependent upon earthly circumstances. Instead, it's because of relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ enabled by the Holy Spirit that we can be filled with joy. We can go into a dark and dying world and live joy-filled lives because of God's work in us. Praise God for that. And we'll be led forth in peace. This peace is a sense of well-being that we have based upon objective truth that in Christ, God, God is for us, not against us. Because of the Gospel, we have real peace with God. And the peace of God uh, that... That, and this peace of God will reign in our hearts and minds. Again, e even when we face difficulties and the uncertainties of this life, we can experience peace. Again, <laughs> praise God for that reality. And that is exactly what the end of verse 12 says. Even the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So all of creation will be impacted by the redemptive work of Jesus. And uh, the, This comment, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, demonstrates that the work of Jesus will in fact restore all things. The, the devastating results of sin or the curse of sin shall 
ultimately disappear from the earth because of the work of the Lord's perfect servant. That's, that is happening progressively as the gospel is proclaimed and believed today, but ultimately on the new heavens and the new earth, all things will be made new again. And all of God's people, and all of God's people will give him praise. But the best is saved for last. The end of verse 13 teaches us that all this redemptive work done in God's people on this earth will in fact make a name for the Lord. Your, your salvation and the building up of Christ's church will be an everlasting sign or testimony that will not be cut off. Um, this sign points to the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Your, your salvation, the, the building up of the church, will result in the name of God being glorified throughout all the earth. And as we close today, as we think about these things, our, our salvation resulting in joy and peace and the praise of God's glory, we have every reason, even as we already sang, we have every reason to be thankful. Colossians 3, 15 through 17 says, in response to being saved by the mercy and grace of God in Christ by His Spirit, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What God promises is really, really bold. It's really, really good. It's rich. And when we think about the things that God promises through His perfect servant, this is something that only a holy God can do. A holy God, someone who is utterly unique. He is one of a kind. Only a holy God could do this. And as you think about the greatness of this holy God, our, our redeeming God, as you trust the God who saves, as, as you every day trust the God who saves, this text calls you to be humble to be teachable, and to be thankful. Let's pray together. Father, it's just hard for us to wrap our minds around how great you truly are. But what we do understand, we understand because you have given to us your word. Your spirit has enabled us to understand your word and when we see in your, what we see in your word really is your glory, the, the work that you have done through Christ by your spirit to make us a people who enjoy you or satisfied with you and live in this dark world in a way that will bring you glory. Father, I know that all of us here today face various difficulties and problems, uncertainties. 
trials. But Father, I pray that in whatever we face, we would not lose sight of you, that we would come to you, we would every day be willing to forsake wickedness and experience your compassion and experience and remember and rehearse the abundant pardon that is ours in Jesus. And I pray that we would live humble lives as we reflect upon your greatness. And Father, I pray that we would not be filled with our opinions, but we would be humbly taught by the truth of your word, um, that we would be corrected and we would be trained so that we would be equipped for the life that you've called us to. And Father, when we reflect on all of these things, I pray that every day our hearts would just overflow with thanksgiving to you. This is the things that we have only you, a holy God, could do. And we we praise you and we thank you for who you are and what you have done so graciously in our lives. Through Jesus' name we pray.